on Sunday, they raised their hands, palm leaves, and they cried, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! On Friday, they raised their fists in anger, the very same voices, and they yelled, Crucify him! On Sunday, the religious leaders were telling the crowds, Be quiet! Jesus, make your people hush! And on Friday, those very same religious leaders were stirring up the crowd and telling them to scream, Crucify him! In one short week, we go from the parade to the passion. In one short week, we're introduced to the King and then the Savior. Our readers have read for us all from the same book, the Gospel according to Mark, as he has as he showed us the story, the triumphant entry, standing before Pilate and hearing the crowds cry for his death. And then on Friday, when he gave his life for us, and that centurion said the most powerful statement that had yet in history been spoken, Truly, this was the Son of God. I want us to pause for a moment at Calvary. And the reason I want us to stop here this morning is because I want us to more fully understand the bread and the cup. You see, the reason that Jesus came into town on that Sunday, the same reason everybody was coming into town on that week, was to prepare for the Passover. It was time for the Passover celebration. People who could make it to Jerusalem came to Jerusalem for that reason, for that celebration. Jesus told his disciples, go and set up a, a place for us in the upper room that we can have the Passover. Only this time, they didn't understand. They thought they were celebrating Passover the same way they had ever since they were born. They had always done Passover every year the same but this year would be different. Jesus got them together and they started the Passover and somewhere during the meal, they began to understand there's something different this year. Jesus began to say things that helped them to begin to grasp the fact that the lamb that was laying there on the table was symbolic of Jesus himself, the Lamb of God. And the Passover began to take on a whole new meaning. It began to fulfill its, its, its full meaning. It began, to, it, it began to take on a meaning that the, the, the disciples had never, ever considered. That the meal was not just remembering the past when the angel of death passed over God's people, but it was also a picture of Jesus. So, hours before he died on the cross, he helped them understand the full meaning of the lamb and the full meaning of the bread and the full meaning of the cup. So that from that night on, 
his disciples would always be able to remember what he was about to do on the cross. What he did was paint them a picture, a picture that would be passed down from generation to generation to generation so that now even today in Little West Texas, somebody passed that picture on to us. And now we're going to look at it again this morning. It's a picture of the cross. In 1 John, beginning at verse 4, or chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, 1 John 4 and 9, we see this picture described for us in such a beautiful way. In 1 John 4, beginning at 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now I want to move to the table quickly, but before we do, let's look at the picture so that when it's time for us to get to the table, we more fully understand it. And what we find is that it is a picture of God's love. The table is a picture of what happened when Jesus died for us. It is a picture of God's love. Did you hear that described for us in, in both verses, but especially at the beginning of verse 9? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us manifest means to bring it out into the open to make something public so everyone can see it God has always loved people God is love he has always loved but it was on the cross of Calvary it was when Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin that God's love became most manifest became most obvious it is there that we see his love and can never question it again it says in this the love of God was made manifest among us Charles Spurgeon said it so beautifully it is the greatest marvel that ever will be that he who is God over all stooped so low as this. I can understand his stooping to poverty and being a carpenter. I can understand his stooping to hunger and thirst. I can even understand his stooping to death. But that he should bear our sins, that is the greatest stoop of all. How must the Lord Jesus have loved us that he did not disdain to bear even the enormous burden of our sin? Spurgeon so beautifully reminds us that it's a picture of God's love. It also is a picture of life and death. The Lord's Supper, what we call the table, is a picture of Christ dying on the cross and that is a picture of of life and death. You see the last part of verse 9? It said that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live 
through him. It is the holy paradox that the author of life would die so those who are dead in sin might live. It is the beautiful, holy paradox. It's a picture of life and death. He gave his life and died that we who were dead might find life in him. Ephesians 2 says, without Christ we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But when we're forgiven and we're pardoned of those sins, we can really live. In Galatians 2, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, in essence, I get to live because he loved me so much, he died for me. It's a picture of life and death. It's a picture of grace. We continue in our text and come to the first part of chapter 10, uh, verse 10 now. In verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. It is grace. Because he didn't sit around and wait for you to love him. He loved you before you could love. You see, our relationship with him is originally based not on our love for him, but on his love for us. It is all by grace that he loved you before you were lovable. And he loved you before you could love him back. Romans says it so beautifully and powerfully. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a picture of grace. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. You don't deserve it and you never did. I could never be good enough to earn it. The beautiful thing is he gave it to us. as grace. He loved us. Died for us. As an act of his grace. The table is a picture of grace. And it is a picture of of atonement. I know that's not a word we use very often, so we'll, we'll clear it up. But let me show you the last part of verse 10. It says, He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is, a, is, is an awkward word, isn't it? We've never used it anywhere in, in regular conversation. What it means is to satisfy a deity. It's, it was even used in the secular world for the false gods, but in this case it is used as a way to say that he satisfied the holiness of God. He died 
as an atonement for our sin. That word simply means to, to pay the debt. It's, it's to repair the wrong. It's to, after you do something wrong, you figure out how to make it right. You've atoned for your misbehavior. The Bible says he loved us so much that he knew you and I could never atone, never make it right, and thereby we could never satisfy God's holiness on our own. It's not in us. The only one who could do that is the only one who was holy himself. And so the holy one died to pay the penalty for the guilty ones. And in so doing, he was a propitiation. He satisfied God's holiness. It's a picture of atonement. He paid a debt we couldn't pay. 